Hello and welcome to yet another tech show for Saturday, March 24th, 2012. My name's Matt Lee. Joining me this evening, this afternoon, I don't even know what time it is. Ant, what's up, my man? Hey, what's going on? Good to have you. Mike Rothman, what's up, man? Here and happy to be here from sunny California. Excellent. Larry Press, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? This is this is excellent. So I'm in Montana. A little background: we uh, we all got together. Uh, man, most of us started back with the Byte relaunch. Is that is that uh, accurate? Most. Yeah. That's where I met Mike and Larry, and then uh, we all kind of moved on from there and ended up at one of two or three places: GroovyPost.com. You can read uh, me and Mike, and I think uh, are you writing there, Larry? No, you know, I don't even know quite what Groovy Post is and what the oh. relationship is between that and and uh, A and D. Okay, well, it's it's just a, a, a another site. Some of us went here. Some of us went to a, a new domain dot net. Uh, some of us are helping out with both. So, and that's where we kind of we met everybody. And so we wanted to do a a weekly sit down or maybe every couple weeks with uh, with some of the, the top tech writers of our modern age. And this is, for me personally, this is this is awesome. So uh, I'm in Montana. Mike, you're in uh, California, you said? I, I'm actually San Francisco-based, and okay. I, I lied to you a few minutes ago. It's actually raining and cold in San Francisco today. Well, that makes <laughs> me feel better. Montana's sunny. Good. And then uh, <laughs> where are you at, Larry? I'm in Los Angeles, and it is sunny. <laughs> An ant? I am outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, in a small town called Gastonia, and it's raining like heck. Nice. <laughs> so we kind of we represent the gamut of, of the nation here for now. And, and as the show progresses and evolves, we'll, we'll constantly be rotating in and out new, new writers, new people to talk. You guys will hear everything from Android to security to Apple to tech news to if this then that i mean we we got all sorts of uh, interesting stuff to cover um i think that's that's probably good for the background is there anything else uh, anybody wants to to mention about about the show or what we're here to do or or anything mike well i just said we're going to keep it light and breezy and uh, a tip for larry if you want to write for groovy post which is a a, a fun tip-oriented, how-to-oriented site, uh, just ping Brian Burgess, and he'll get you set up. Sounds good. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So uh, we got we had a, a lot of great stuff coming out on uh, Between Groovy Post and A New Domain. We can kind of start there. I know, uh, Ant, you had a, a an awesome post about – I guess the, the, the majority of the post wasn't really if – can can you get rid of your your point and shoot and only use your smartphone camera? It, it it more turned into like a nice gallery and then a contest. You want to tell us about that? How that all came to be? Yeah, it started out with with I just wanted to premise. All right, we, there's a lot of high end cameras out there, and you would not believe this, but now someone is knocking on my door. Perfect timing, right? Um. <laughs> Come in. But we were wanting to discuss the different high-end cameras out there and the uses of them and who's going to use them. And why would you necessarily need it if you have your smartphone camera? With you? The article was, was really interesting. And I've, 
I, I came from from the side that that I always had my camera with me. I always had a video camera with me, like just everywhere I went. Though it was always in my backpack with my my netbook or or whatever. And these cameras now, they they were okay for for the time, but you couldn't do like why well, I had a Sony CyberShot 3.2. It was a 7.2 megapixel, just a big CyberShot. And the the thing I loved about it was you could adjust the exposure, and that wasn't anything you could ever do on these. But now the further we've progressed to these <laughs> front right. and back cameras, you full exposure adjustments. It basically, I'm comparing the pictures side by side, and I'm almost leaning towards the uh, the, the Galaxy Nexus over the over a uh, point and shoot. And yeah, as I was saying, it it, it made me look at just being at a, a place like a soccer field and wanting to see the kids play, and and then you have the whole social aspect. You, you see the kids playing, and you want to take a snapshot, and you want to share it on Twitter, share it on Facebook, and so forth. And not every point and shoot in DSLR can do that. And then on top of that, who's going to walk around with those cameras strapped to their neck or in their purse and, and so forth when you can just have it on an iPhone, have it on a droid? Or It's turned into it, – it's gone from something that used to be like a planned outing. Like, hey, you want to go get the kids and your girl and we'll go out somewhere and take nice pictures. I mean people still do that, but I feel like more, right. more and more because we always have access to these devices – if we see something, it, it's turned everybody into documentarians of sort because we're right. And and I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing. Seth Herringer, uh, he he hosts Attack of the Androids with us once a week for Groovy Post. He had an mm-hmm. interesting story about he was on a plane, and a guy was drunk and causing problems, and so they they had to have you know p- people needed to help restrain the guy. And he said what he right, witnessed. I that story. Yeah, yeah, it was really interesting. What he witnessed, for those that didn't read it, he basically saw more people wanting to film it than to actually intervene and and help the people. And and he said it, it kind of disgusted him because more he felt like more people should have offered help. He said the people that were helping, nobody asked, like, hey, do you mind if we film you? Everybody was just like, ooh, this is going to go viral, and it's going to make me... <laughs> A hit, exactly which right. is I still exactly right. I still can't go to to Wendy's and trade in hits for a cheeseburger. So I don't know. <laughs> I mean, unless for the normal everyday person, like who cares? You know, help somebody. <laughs> but if that's your job, if you're a Ray William Johnson or whatever, and that's your job, then okay, maybe you should. But not everybody needs to. That what you're saying really reminds me. I've done some posts on this, and I've done a lot of work in developing nations. And one place where that spontaneous, you know, spontaneous uh, everybody has a camera in their pocket is really paid off has been like in the Arab Spring, for example, uh, documenting political events, documenting mm-hmm. demonstration. That's been really important. Well, and the, I think the the big part of that has been the the process of not only are you filming something and now all your footage is gone. These smartphones add the capability to stream live, and not only are you streaming it, but that's recording it somewhere away from... It could be in another yeah. country from where you're at. So if they take your camera and try to silence you, it's it's too late. And I, I think that's given it a huge boost. No question. And then, that uh, combination of uh, uh, really good quality video or uh, still photography and that instant transmission... Uh, up to YouTube or up to a file sharing site makes it 
has led to a, a global phenomenon and global change. It's it's trans it's transformative, and it all comes down to the you know the quality iPhone device or similar device that has made this possible. Uh, it's it's it really transforms photography. It it really is a new form of uh, docu uh, documentary of documenting our lives. Yes. Uh, at the same time, I was talking about this point just this week to a photographer friend of mine. He's really a serious <laughs> photographer. He says he uses his DSLR a lot less than he used to because he's always got his iPhone 4 in his pocket with him. But he also says that when he is looking to create high-quality photography, the size of the sensor in a DSLR and the ability to achieve depth of focus and these things is uh, is significantly greater in uh, in the DSLR. He, he's he's arguing there'll always be a, D, a place for a DSLR yeah. for a serious photographer. Oh, oh right. even, a, even a point and shoot camera, a good point and shoot camera. Uh, if you plan to use these images and work on them in Photoshop and do something sort of permanent with them. That's a different story than just you know capturing a picture of your kid at a soccer game or a uh, you know an event, a political event or something. Where is the value in the physical um, photograph now? Frames, showing them yeah. off, framing them, that kind of yeah. stuff. I feel like for everything else though, it's all it's going on a social network and it's being shared that way. How many people do you know say, "Hey, come over and we'll we'll look at my photo album from our vacation." Right. It's all done um, online now. That's let me, completely. Let me give you. Let me throw in another one. My wife takes a lot of pictures with her iPad, and it's really cool. She she sees the picture as it's going to be. <laughs> And then people, she's constantly whipping it out and going through and showing people pictures on her iPad. They never leave the iPad. Well, and that's a phenomenal. It's an album, and it's and she can also. It's a phenomenon where you're seeing the picture in the same size, same resolution as it's going to be when you look at it. That's the phenomenal the shift picture. that has that's happened high. because the, the, the old cameras, it was a viewfinder, and then we started getting yeah. the screens, but it was never. It was never, they were never really good screens. And granted, it was old tech, and now I'm sure they can make little viewfinders this big that are, you know, HD almost. They're still but, little. But yeah, and, and just being able to, to have your viewfinder, you know, in, like you said, a close uh, ratio to what it's going to be viewed on on a, a wide screen or something like that, it gives a whole new. I think it, it changes people's view of what they're taking pictures of because they're viewing it differently. You're, you're seeing it in a more real world. It, it's giving people better eyes, but then I think on the same, the same side, it's making them a little more lazy about it, and it's adding a lot of noise to the, the photography that is out there. I've had a, a totally unexpected experience for, for me and for our family uh, around photography. We have a... Oh, se several years ago, I set up uh, uh, Windows uh, Media Center and use it in our living room uh, to deliver content to uh, our big screen television in the in the living room. Love it, and love it. Yeah. Windows Media Center is a great device, and I could go on for hours about recorded TV and about um, the, its uh, music capabilities and so on, but. I coupled that with a digital archive of photography that I have. I've got a kind of culled collection of 45, 4,600 
images of our family uh, travels, vacations, holidays, family reunions, you know, all the things that happen over maybe a 30-year period. Uh -huh. a, a lot of those older images, of course, are things that I've had as photographs or slides that I've scanned into video, uh, scanned into uh, digital images. And when I don't have television on, that screen is still on and rotates randomly through that collection of 4,600 images. And it is mesmerizing. I'll have, <laughs> I'll have family or friends come in, and they'll just stare at that ro rotation of images slack-jawed for hours as, it, as the images keep changing. It's a hoot. Yeah, you don't have subliminal messages in there, do you? <laughs> yeah, 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 not yet. <laughs> leave your leave your checkbook with me. <laughs> yeah. So on the article, uh, going back to that on a, a new domain.net, it's called "Smartphone Snapshot Shootout: How Photos Compare." And this is something that uh, you opened up to the readers to feel free to submit their own. How has the uh, the interaction been? It looks like you've gotten uh, some really amazing pictures on there. You know, there's, I want to say, about 23 different pictures on there. And um, I, I know I got at least 40 or 50 that were submitted to me. And it was nice because I opened it up by saying, you know, use a phone app if you have to, uh, not necessarily the, just the camera, and look at the quality you can get from that versus the quality you can get from a 5D Mark III. And... A lot of people agree, hey, this is just as good as that 5D Mark III, and I'm not spending $3,500 on it, you know? Well, you're spending, what, $600 on it plus another $2,400 <laughs> by the end of your two-year cycle, but that's another story for another A time. subsidized $600. It, well, hopefully, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it, it, was, it was really neat to see all the different images come in from whether it's just someone sitting on the beach, whether it's someone in the middle of... Montana. Or... Yeah, that looks familiar. <laughs> no way. You know, or even one of my favorite pictures of sitting down in the Orange Bowl using an HDR app, and it came out amazing. You know, and everyone's like, how did you take that picture? And I say, hey, it was my Droid X. Isn't like, that wow. crazy? I, when I first got my Galaxy Nexus, I went out to a, a nice place out here in, in northwest Montana I like to take pictures at, and I, I set up the same exact shot. I used my Sony CyberShot 7.2, I used my Droid X, and I used my Galaxy Nexus. And I put them all together on one page, like in Photoshop. And you can really see the Droid X was the least <laughs> nice of the, of the three pictures, and then the Sony, and then the best-looking one was from the Galaxy Nexus, which goes to the argument back in the day people would always say the more megapixels, the better. That reached a breaking point where that... Yeah, it finally stopped. It wasn't necessarily true because you get to the point where you have to be able to buffer that image, and if the image is too big, and then you need a nice lens. And I, th I think now we've gotten to the point where you know all of that has come together. And it's it's kind of doing what I feel like mobile is doing for the for the uh, mobile gaming industry, like the Nintendo DS and the PSPs. People are are making a shift to using their smartphones for this stuff. And if the game developers don't shift or pivot with it, they're going to get left behind. And Nintendo's already Nintendo's starting <laughs> to feel that already. Yep. So did you find out of everything? How many pictures altogether would you say were submitted? A couple hundred or yeah, ball. No, I actually went through about 40 or so myself. Um, 
I'm not even sure how many Gina got, but she said she got flooded with a lot of them as well. And I ended up putting about 23 on the site at a new domain. And now are you still adding to it? Is this still open or is this done and it's, closed? It's still, it's still open. It's Gonna still keep open. It going? I got an email last night from somebody. Very <laughs> phenomenal. Is this a contest? Is it a contest or just a place to show off pictures? It's just a place to show off. You know, we're just trying to build a community over there at A&D. Oh, wait. I was, I was told there was a $10,000 prize. I'm out. Um, wait, dude, I'm, I'm telling you. You I'm know totally what? Wait kidding. a minute. That's not even in Monopoly money. I know, huh? <laughs> All right. Well, that's very cool. Check it out over on a new domain.net. Um, let's shift gears. I, Larry, you had a, an interesting post on Google Plus all about uh, this, some new research that came out that may have discovered how memories are encoded in our brains. And I know this is something that has sort of baffled scientists for for ages. How is it distributed throughout the neural network or is it just are, are certain you know long-term memories here and short-term memories here? Uh, what this is a very interesting article. You want to tell us about it, Larry? Sure. Um, yeah, I just came across it this morning and, and did a post on it. Again, on, uh, I guess not on a new domain, on, just on my Google Plus feed. Uh, yeah, the thing is people have, I guess, okay, I'm not a neuroscientist. I don't think I have to tell you that. But the understanding of the accepted belief was that memories were stored uh, somehow in synaptic synapse you know synaptic connections and the problem with that is that synaptic connections break down and change and so the question becomes how do you explain long-term memory you know memories that last our entire lifetimes and this goes out, this goes yeah. back to the the brain being a muscle and people being able to provide that muscle with some sort of memory retention like when you do the same thing over and over again i can tell you multiplication oh, yeah. tables all day long but if i had to fix yeah. a car i don't know that because i don't have the, the the muscle memory in my brain and and so that that kind of links to you know certain bits of memory loss or certain diseases that affect these different distributed uh synoptic networks right. in our brain right, right. But, but we do have those uh, you know, gazillions of, like you say, you know the mem the multiplication tables. You uh, recognize your mom's picture whenever you see right, it. Right, exactly. Uh, so, and those are you know lifelong memories, and so that there was a, a physicist actually up at, jeez, uh, I can't remember, University of Alberta in Canada, and he and his colleagues, you know, understood, figure, hey, there's got to be some other explanation than synapse connections because they're not permanent forever. To explain long-term memory, right? So and this research, oh, good. I, yeah, I gotta tell you, I am in no uh, ability. I have no ability to be critical, to either you know criticize or say, "Wow, that's it's really sound." I don't know anything about the technology, but in reading the article, what you learn is that they have discovered a mechanism which, in a very stable and long-term way, uh, at the molecular level, can store. Uh, Six-bit bytes, uh, zeros and you know sta uh, two-state uh, molecular states on or off, and on or off, and and six bits at a chunk, mm -hmm. and these are molecular level things that are obviously huge. The second thing they've discovered is using the similar mechanisms that that they can build stable uh, and and exclusive OR gates. Now, if those two things turn out to be true, and like I say, if, you know, if they stand up under scientific scrutiny and people are able to re replicate it and people really come to understand 
Well, that's how we record the bits. That's how we know the difference between the zeros and ones. This is wetware and logic. And that, to me, it's like understanding DNA. I mean, this is yeah. a real important kind of a breakthrough. This is all wetware um, logic. If then, it's interesting that the, yeah. the physicist lead researcher, his name's Jack Tuzinski, his graduate student, Travis Craddock, and the University of Arizona professor, Stuart Hamroff, they were looking into this molecular mechanism of memory encoding inside the neurons. And it says they looked into structures at the cytoskeletal level of brain structure, and they found these components that fit together and were capable of creating the information processing and the storage capacity that the brain needs mm -hmm. to form and retain memory. That is crazy. Yeah. yeah, that's what they're saying. They they see how to store bits, and they see how yep. to build AND and OR gates. You find the process uh, behind it. And 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 OR gates, I mean, you know, you put the gates together, you get adders, you put the adders together, you get CPUs, and then the, the thing that's missing, though, this is like DNA. They, the guys under DNA, I think, is an acceptable thing. So we know how things are encoded. But on top of that, there's still huge questions. Like in the case of memory, okay, maybe that turns out that's the way bits are stored in our brains. But we don't know what the file format is. We don't know how they're encoded. Right. We don't uh, have the key. I doubt if it's JPEG images. Yeah, right. For, huh. uh, pictures. <laughs> and I doubt if it's, uh, you know, wave files for sound. Loading up PNGs uh, so in your mind's eye. There's PNGs. Exactly. I don't think we're doing PNGs, even though it's bits at the bottom. But and now the listen, same thing can with you the take... Gates, I, you know, what are the programs we're running? What are the algorithms that run on top of that hardware? But that's, so there still tends to be discovered. Once you have the basic concepts, how, how far off is it to say that you can reverse engineer the process and come up with the key? I don't, you know, I have never... Where's our brain scientist? I don't know anything about wet We need biology. Steve Novella from the Skeptics Guide. He's a neuroscientist. He'll tell us. <laughs> that's really yeah, that's interesting the thing. research. I, that, in, in my little post, I said, you know, if this really turns out to be solid like DNA was... Uh, this is really, it's not telling the whole story. Like I say, you don't know how the things are encoded, but wow, it's a real revolutionary thing. But I am not qualified to, to judge the validity of the research. Well, none of us are, but it is, we are very qualified to, to analyze it a little bit and talk about it and discuss it. It's very interesting, and this could have we can, massive We can talk about the implications if it's true. Well, uh, let's, let's take it back to technology. If this is true, if this holds true, and what they're saying is, in, in these figures, they're generated by computational reconstruction of molecules that play key roles in memory encoding. So you have tubulin, microtubules, and CAMK2. So at the atomic resolution, these 3D structures from crystallographic data, it's just out there. It's publicly available. So they're taking them and comparing in pattern recognition. So when you get to that point, how long off are we before we start seeing brain-to-computer, wetware-type interfaces that take what's being encoded in our brain translates it to a one or a zero in digital and then displays us what we're thinking or sends a message to you just via thought yeah. this is the research i feel like that's going to break yeah, that, that sounds like a, a an interface problem but it, another one though that comes that might be even easier easier i mean if this mechanism turns this out easy. to be true and we can build it synthetically then maybe we're talking about you know bizarrely high resolution memory devices. That too. Uh, what happens what, when it know. becomes conscious and sentient? Do we have to put it down, or <laughs> what do we do? Yeah, but I, like I say, I mean, what are the algorithms on top of this? This is like knowing DNA, but not understanding protein. Functions. I think biocentrism is a long the, way to go. Biocentrism <laughs> is the closest thing we have so far to coming up with a. a 
a logical reasoning for how consciousness and all of that plays out in the quantum level affecting everything we observe and, and then you know to the computer level of, of uh, you're, chips I think you're going you're going past where biocentrism guys are. google it it's brilliant <laughs> yeah no i mean i i don't think these guys are uh, that's trying right. any uh, that kind I, of I, actually I what they're talking about i see where you're is, going Matt. Yeah, they're I, I they're see. talking about some ther- possibilities also in therapy, like in in memory and uh, impaired diseases. They'll just put your memory on a hard drive and then have Spinrite just keep it going. <laughs> Problem solved. <laughs> I think this is another example of of science catching up with science fiction. It it sounds to me like a kind of short leap from this story to that world of the Matrix, where you know we're all living in some larger enhanced uh uh supercomputer universe what is real would you rather have a surrogate or be in the matrix and there you go yeah i'm sure jerry Purnell and larry niven are sitting there saying hey i saw i saw this coming yeah right <laughs> they absolutely <laughs> did so just just for my own curiosity around the horn uh surrogate or the matrix and matrix matrix larry I'll take either one. Either or? <laughs> either or. Yeah. Mike? No, I'm, I'm the surrogate guy. Really? I'm going to have to go Matrix, I think. But if I could have a surrogate inside of the Matrix, that'd be cool, too. <laughs> all, right. all right. All right. Well, interesting story, Larry. Uh, follow all of Larry's interesting posts on Google+, Plus, as we all are, are on there. Um, let's see. What's next? Do you want to talk about uh, how all of these tablets are starting to go mainstream. Uh, we're starting to see more iPads in class, stuff like that. I was kind of interested back in the day when uh, I had to carry around school books. I thought, why couldn't you just have all of this on some sort of device? And then instead of our school books always being so outdated, they were constantly updated with the latest and greatest science. And it seems so, so unattainable when I when I was trying to figure out a way and and now like we have everything in place to completely do that but we're still really not seeing that that huge shift let me tell you we're starting to I understand totally what you're seeing we're sort of still in the Gutenberg Bible stage right right of text printer but I'll give you one really cool example of somebody that's doing just what you're saying nature publishing they you know they do uh, it's a famous journal in Britain and they do Scientific American they're a real serious academic publisher and they have brought out um, actually it'll be available for wide adoption next fall but I've been in on the beta testing of it um, they have a I don't know you can't call it they have a not a textbook but an e-text or whatever you want to call it sure that's a um, it's it's for the course uh, introduction to biology for biology majors and they've got physics is in the work and also uh, versions for non-majors. Can you just but see, this, though? This book is not a book. It's a website or it's an Internet site. It's an application, It's right? modular. It's made up of 196 individual module, modules, so a professor can build a, a tailor-made uh, class. And the, the thing that's really cool is the business model is totally different than what you were used to in, in school. You don't buy a textbook and own it and carry it around. What you do is you pay Nature 50 bucks and you get a subscription. And what you get for that is a lifetime subscription to this text material as it evolves. And yeah. it's just, to me, it's, it's wow, just, I've done, I've done a bunch of, I've done a, several blog posts on that. 
and I can, if we're going to do show notes, I'll put them in the show notes. Yeah, we absolutely will have show notes over on yet another com once we get that all uh, finished up. But cool. now remove yourself for nice. a second from just a plain textbook and, and think about the applications or the possibilities that you could open up for your students uh, in your curriculum if you could take advantage of audio and video and diagrams, oh, images. This, you this could nature, show the I mean, whole you, autopsy. You, you got to check out this nature thing. Are I mean, they it, doing that? It's That's... neither a text nor a book. It's got many data types. It can have some, right. any you know executables. And it's certainly not a book. It's 196 independent or quasi-independent modules. And that's key if you make it modular like that because instead of having to re-update the whole thing, you can just update bits and pieces or say, hey, we got new video of the fetal pig uh, dissection, so let's put that, that in. That, by the way, is another change in their business model. It's not – a typical textbook is authored by one or a couple people. Right. right? You have and to crowdsource that. they're responsible that. and it's theirs. In this case, nature is not paying royalties. They have hired out work for hire to many, like you know, like fifty or sixty different authors, each of which is responsible for just a few modules. So, in fact, that's they will the way be to do it, right? Up, and it's it's like the Wikipedia effect. That's like distributed, crowdsourced. That's yeah, how it should it's, be done. It's the Wikipedia, uh, but it's not just any old crowd. It's it's like you know, Nature is a real serious publisher, so it's really highly qualified. Uh, biologist for sure yeah well, Larry, I, I get that idea of, of uh, uh, letting out the individual modules but doesn't there still have to be a kind of connective web to a curriculum that, that yeah. knits all of this together the way it works is this uh, a professor who adopts the book has a, a prof, you know professor view of the site and he or she goes through and puts together um, a path through the modules. So to the student, it looks like a it looks like a textbook with a I, I want to say textbook. It looks like a a course with you know a, a regular syllabus and a class outline and a table of contents. It's a smart and app. The, course so the, curriculum. the teacher doesn't pick all 196, but if you've got uh, you know if you're at Caltech, you pick different modules than you do if you're at my at a, a state university. If you've got a, you know a more uh, advanced kinds of students. So Larry, are you the, saying the like the student though sees it as a as a put together thing. But you're mm -hmm. saying as as the, the the instructor, you have this vast store of resource to pick and choose from when building your particular individualized yeah. Yeah. curriculum. You, you have hundred and ninety six modules and you know, they're all from, right. as as Mike's saying, they're all modules that would be relevant uh, to an introduction to biology for biology majors course. That's amazing. But you're not going to pick all 196 of them. You pick the ones that make sense to you. And the view the student sees, it kind of looks like, you know, the table. it's got a table of contents, and then they can drill down from there. The instructor can also say, okay, uh, I do or I do not want to uh, include uh, links to primary research, depending on how much detail he or she wants. So the, the instructor tailors it to their students and their desire, but uh, like Mike was saying, it it looks like kind of a put together coherent. Uh, it's a coherent course. It's it's not just hey kids, let's pick. Doesn't that almost at the end of the day change the instructor's job a little bit? Instead of just simply reading out of a book or giving lectures, now you're almost a guide of sorts through this this plethora of knowledge that you want these that, you don't have to a, memorize facts that, anymore you're yeah. actually referring back as a reference material for learning the concepts and you're not just 
being having to memorize the same old drivel because I can Google it in two seconds. It's it's changed well, that. This brings yeah for sure. I mean, this is serious though. It's not all stuff you could Google, but what you're getting at there is is yet another. Uh, yeah. kind of buzzword in education <laughs> these days, and that's the idea of an inverted class, whereas you have your students study or you know go through Khan Academy modules, whatever, where they prepare well and try to do this stuff outside of class, and then you supposedly use your time in class um, helping them with stuff that they couldn't figure out and doing more uh, individualized instruction and that's key right Um, because nowadays kids have grown up being oversaturated with signals and attention spans are slow and nobody wants to sit and listen to a lecture if you go out and look for it because i want to hear this lecture you know then yeah but as far as it being in a classroom so having this access i think too opens up it, it, it keeps the kids interested, which makes them want to learn. And if you can present the, the material instead of just saying memorize this and we're going to be tested on what yeah. you memorize tomorrow, like you give a whole new level of interaction to it. And I think that builds working together skills, you know, team working skills and all that. And I think yeah. that's going to be better overall than than the previous, you know, modality of, of education. Yeah. Well, Plus the cost, right? Into making people memorize stuff. But, is yeah. this is this similar to what Apple was doing with this iBook University? Well, uh, they that's more of a public. Ago. Thing, they and right? a lot of people are trying to come up with you know the standard. You know, fifteen twenty years from now, there will be some standard formats and standard authoring systems and whatnot. But yeah, they're trying to let people author stuff. Uh, but they're kind of one thing that's they're doing is they're building it to be. Uh, their tools are target Apple devices, uh, whereas this nature thing, that's one thing they've done. They It's all HTML5, uh, so it all runs in a browser, and they've, got, and they've got uh, the, the, they're smart enough to know the size of your display and the kind of hardware you're running, so they, they do a lot of tailoring to, uh, it'll, you'll see different, a different formatting on an iPhone or on a on a MacBook or on a PC or on a tablet or whatever. That's cool uh, to see. Really, this. They've been really, uh, really aware of that. They're really sharp. I've had several meetings with them. They're really, uh, they're really sharp guys. There's a similar project at, at uh, Rice University where they have grant money and they're bringing out. I think they've got three or four of these integrated texts coming out. Uh, and again, I say text, but it's like Matt says, they're not textbooks. No, it's smart app. They're, they're, they've got all kinds of non-textual information. Now, Larry, I have a question. Does does yeah. having all of this curriculum and everything and, and moving towards using these kind of devices, what what does that do for the, the privacy and the security aspect? I know privacy is another big buzzword people are pretending to be caring about nowadays. But Well, it, your privacy, is I dead? can tell you this. Nature, uh, one of the things that they're going to support with their platform, and there are a lot of other people moving this direction, is to put a social layer on top of education. So, for example, the the nature deals are like those big massive courses at Stanford, and now I, that's spun off. Uh, there's feedback. The, the, the students do things online. The teachers get feedback. Uh, they see how their students are doing within their class. But like the nature deal, for example, this teacher will also be able to see how his or her students are doing relative to all the students in the world that are using that material. And they're also building mechanisms and encouraging kind of peer teaching. They're encouraging the students to be able to talk to themselves and, and help, help themselves. So there is a big 
people are trying to invent like a social networking layer to go on top of teaching materials. Well, that's we what I'm speak. thinking. If you, none of this is figured out yet, but give it 15 years and it'll be mainstream. If you can take the addictive properties of social gaming and incorporate that into education and make it a competition where no longer we're viewing it as it's cool to be dumb and just hang out on the corner and smoke cigarettes. Like now we're making the <laughs> shift back towards it's cool I mean, it's not. to know <laughs> stuff. <laughs> no, when I was in school, it was. You got me kidding. I feel like such a dummy dumb now. But Damn, now you tell me. All the nerds, Jeez. you know, the, the smart geeks get beat up and put in lockers. Like, we're making a shift to where now the nerds have robots to beat up the bullies and then put them in lockers. And <laughs> yeah, I think that's true. That's, the geeks shall inherit the earth. That's right. That's great. And I think this I is... Think people are figuring that out no matter what kind of <laughs> right? textbooks you use. <laughs> so speaking of, uh, let's shift gears a little bit. We are talking about the iPad and stuff. It wouldn't be yet another tech show without some talk of the new iPad, iPad HD, iPad 3. What are we calling it? They just call it the new iPad. Yet another expensive tablet. Yet another expensive tablet. The biggest you investment you'll ever make. Yet no. another Android smasher. So, <laughs> Does anybody has seen one of these things? Yes, I have. Um, a friend of mine has one uh, at work, and... Um, it didn't wow me. It, it was just a little bit thicker than the iPad 2, as they said in the specs. Hey, and um, I've heard yes. that if you're not wowed by the display, you might be legally blind. I'm pretty close. No, I'm not. <laughs> Put your glasses no, on. That's, that's from hanging out on street corners. I mean, it, it's, <laughs> it really, the only thing that got my attention was the camera on that thing. You know, you send it, and and again, I'm not one that's going to be walking around downtown Charlotte. Now, if we get lenses or glasses that you can pipe those augmented reality apps into, or have your text message right here, you can still see. I think that would be key. But um, yeah, let me take you Google's back. It's supposed to be coming out with glasses uh, this year. I.O. that everyone's hoping they're going to give them out at I.O. I wish I could go. Man, that'd be <laughs> cool. So let me take you back to a, a different time. This is this is the 70s. This is the mid-70s. Cocaine and disco is king. And a couple gentlemen go by the name of what? Bill Gates and Paul Allen. They formed a partnership, and they called it Microsoft. And like most startups, Microsoft, they, they started small, but they had a huge vision. And that vision? A computer on every desktop and in every home. With no more than 64K of RAM. Because <laughs> that's plenty. Um, this is from Coding Horror by Jeff Atwood. It's kind of interesting. They say the ex uh, existential crisis facing Microsoft is that they achieved their mission years ago, at least as far as the developed world is concerned. When was the last time you saw a desktop or a home without a computer? Do you remember 2001? Yeah. We're long since past the point where Microsoft... That depends where you are, man. People are calling this the post-PC era. Have you guys heard that buzzword? Oh, just a few hundred times. Try telling the people in Cuba or Africa about the fact that there's a desktop on every, or a computer on every desk. That's true, and different, different. Now, I, I always wonder, these countries have been around longer than us. Why is it, is it war and turmoil that has prevented them from building infrastructure like we have, or different focus, or, I, I never understood that. Why? That's beyond the scope of this. But well, there's people that there are a lot of theories. Yeah. Warlords? Sure. Okay. 
So the idea is now you can get all of this. I mean, my my prime right here. This is the fastest computer in my house, and I have a desktop AMD recording the show. I'm streaming here on the VIO. This is the fastest computer. It's also the smallest and the thinnest in this house. Uh, and then this is the second fastest, which is my Galaxy right. Nexus. So we're making a shift towards. And, and granted, I'm not doing you know full on physics based you know gaming like uh, call of, new Call of Duty and stuff like that. But I wasn't doing that anyway on these. So it, it it's it's a different use case I feel like. But these are moving towards the devices. When you get home, what do you reach for? What do you turn on? Do you just tap this and turn it on, or do you boot this thing up and wait 10 minutes for it to show you the XP logo and maybe a pretty blue screen? I, I feel now, like you know is... a true geek is not turning that desktop computer off anyway. Well, that's true. I mean, are you? what are you unhibernating? <laughs> Good call. I, I Good can call. tell you, it's my Dell laptop with a flash drive. Yeah. That's all I've used for several, two years. And that's been more than adequate, right? I love it. Do you game on it, though? <laughs> I don't game on it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> what do you think, game. Mike? I, right. I just faced that question recently when my old laptop died on me, and I decided it was time to get a new laptop. And I, my, my final outcome was a relatively low-cost Acer laptop, uh, and I've added a uh, solid-state drive to it. Mm-hmm. And I'm running Windows 8 Consumer Preview, and it is a fantastic performer. It, right. it comes back from hibernation in, like, less than eight seconds. Wow. And it is rock-solid, reliable. Consumer Preview still has some rough edges, uh, as, you, you know, as we've all heard or seen. Uh, but the laptop is great. And for me, you know, this laptop, even with the solid state drive, costs less than the new uh, iPad. And it's really? got a Yeah. Wow. That's scary. Even with a, with a flash drive? How, how well, big is the storage on it? How big is the drive? Uh, I put a small flash drive in it, 120 gig. Wow. Uh, it didn't wow. come with a flash drive. I took the hard drive out and substituted okay. a flash right. drive. So, so when you, you know, got through little... doing that, did it cost more than an iPad? No. That's Do you guys cool, still man. feel like the iPad is a consumption device, or is it making a move totally. towards being more of a production-oriented device? Because they're trying to sell it as, hey, you can produce with this too, and it's fun. Mike? I, I say good luck with producing. I, I still am too much tied to a keyboard um, and to uh, a mouse or some kind of pointer device. Even with a dock? rely on finger gesturing even with a keyboard dock yeah but still not why, there why why do i want to play around with a keyboard dock and an ipad and a this and a that because it I makes you just... look so cool and if you're smoking while you do it just coolness off the charts no i see what you're saying larry what do you think you know i'm with mike and as far as what i do you know i do a little image processing little video processing a bunch of word processing uh for sure uh, there's no question, but I can't even type on an iPad screen. But that's not to say that there won't be, and maybe this new high-res thing is going to spark it, maybe there are going to be some new kinds of applications, uh, you know, but with some, if we had decent speech recognition, 
and maybe some gesture and speech-based speech applications. It's not clear to me. I don't know what you're showing me there. A lot I'll of tell keys you what, I wouldn't want to. I hate to type on those. That keyboard mess. is where it's at. The split keyboard you know, the split is nice. Keyboard. And the yeah. update, this is, I, I know this sucks for listening on podcasts, but this is the new AI tablet float keyboard. And it you can you can combine it. You know, full, full. You can put it anywhere yeah. on the screen you want. How, how's your typing go on that compared to a regular keyboard? I'm around laptop. 180, 200 on a regular on my on my Microsoft Ergo awards Jesus. a minute. On this, I'm nowhere near that. But yes. this, okay. I do a lot of talking to it also, which is what you were saying. Okay. The the different speak, inter- Yeah, I can imagine a new class of application. <laughs> I can't imagine it. But somebody will figure out maybe some applications that go real well with multi-touch and voice input, and then maybe it'll become a, uh, you know, in some in those cases, a good creation. Thing. Well, listen, I don't right I now don't, for me it's just to consume. I don't feel like it's redesigning the applications that we're using. I feel like it's more of accommodating the existing applications, our word processing, our spreadsheet, but changing the way we interact with those devices. You, we have to, to think of a better way to input data from one place to another, whether it's from our brains to a screen or from our, our brains to a piece of paper. It, it seems like the, the, the commonality here is it all starts in our brains, and I think that's where the whole, you know, what well, we're now you're about going earlier. to this brain interface. The futuristic. The run, I'm too. In the short run, run between somewhere between doing Microsoft Word on a tablet, I think there. I have faith that somebody is doing really cool drawings or somehow you know building websites or something that does work well. Well, with, can I with, tell you uh, something? With voice and touch. Are it yet, hasn't happened yet that I know of. Are yet another tech show site. Everything you see up there so far, I did on this tablet without a keyboard cool. dock. And wow. I mean, it's not great. It's not much up there. It's it's a basic. I made a few changes, installed everything, but I did all that from here just to see if I could do it. And it's doable. I also I have a review coming up as soon as I can afford the ten dollar price of Photoshop Touch for uh, the Prime here, and that's supposed to be the answer to the image manipulation tools that we've kind of been lacking. I know the default ice cream sandwich for Android comes with a really good photo editor on Ant's piece about photos. Uh, that's what I shot mine with and, and did the editing all in, all on the phone. But Photoshop Touch is supposed to bring its design. They, they took the same application but redid how we're interacting with it, and it's mm-hmm. specifically designed for these tablets. So I, I, it'll be interesting to see. Like I said, I don't have $10 yet to buy it to review it, but I will, and then it's, it's going to be on. Yeah. Hey, I can Matt, imagine you, an image editor being cool because, you know, just really with gestures, you go quickly into fat bits, do your thing. Well, and think about what's that the might, most... It might be quicker than doing it with a mouse. What's the top-selling app right now or what's making the money? It's that draw game, and it's all done with your finger. Uh, draw something? That's the bud. That, yeah, Zynga yeah, bought it for what? Hot. How much did Zynga pay for that? $200 million or $20 million? $200 million. $200 million for a draw... Like, <laughs> that that drops my jaw. For, for an application that's been on the market six weeks. It's Pictionary. You made Pictionary. You took the same app, but you redid how we interact with it, and you gave it an addictive. I think where they hit it off was that they made it so Android players can play with Apple, and Apple can play with Android, and it, it doesn't matter. It's it's uh, uh, platform agnostic. And I think that, that opened up a, a really massive, quick, Everybody got it, and they were all playing together. Because not very many games do that, right? I mean, hey, how man. many? 
just since since we are yats here, give us uh, thirty seconds on the specs of that tablet you've been waving around. This is the Transformer Prime. This is the um, the U.S. version, Wi-Fi, quad core Tegra three, uh, Giga RAM. I it's I can't even describe it. It came out. I wrote a review on it on GroovyPost.com. There was some problems with Ice Cream Sandwich. It first came out with the Honeycomb. Then they announced a new one. Ice Cream Sandwich came out, and it was buggy. It was rebooting. There was a hundred something posts on XDA about it. But it, we're on a few updates later, and it's it's pretty solid. I, I love it. And it, it, it's now running Ice Cream Sandwich. Yeah, it's and been it's been since it came out. There was an update, but the update was causing massive problems. But now the, it's it's four point oh point two right now. And it's uh, how's it priced? Priced? It was a Christmas present, but it's around five hundred. Thought it was five hundred, right? Now, and honestly, let me say, I would, if you're looking for a tablet right now, I would wait until either that pad phone comes out, or if you want something quad core, wait for the TF seven hundred one. That's the one they announced at uh, CES that basically f- made this just way better. Even though that was this just got released, like they just one upped it real quick. So I would wait for right. that better camera, better screen, better <laughs> everything, and they fixed the- better GPU in it. GPS, better GPS, because this has the metal backing, you can see, uh, if, if you're watching this, but they were having GPS problems and, and all oh, that. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, it seems to be all good now, so I love it. But I try to do as much as I can on this. I don't carry around my netbook anymore. I just carry around this, and I turn my Galaxy Nexus into a free Wi-Fi spot, which I wrote a how-to on Groovy about how to do, and then I connect this to that through Wi-Fi, and I'm, I'm good. I can you set up sites like yetanothertechshow.com. <laughs> <laughs> Why'd you get that guy instead of an Apple iPad, whatever? Because I live in Android. I don't know. Just I, you wanted. Because yeah. I like hacking and, and I, Apple. I don't know. I've just never felt justified in spending the amount of money Apple products cost when I can do everything anybody on Apple can do on my PCs for like half the price. Plus, I used but to build spend, them. You spend as much for that as for it. An iPad, right? How much did you say it was? Uh, it's 500 but yeah, like I said, it was a present, so I didn't actually go. But I would have picked this instead of an iPad, I feel like, because I can but do But that's the it. only one that's pretty comparable to the iPad, because I mean, that, that yeah, I've I'm an Android with... fan, but the, the iPad is, is squashing. See, I never got a Zoom. The Zyboard yeah. looks nice. The Motorola Zyboard, that looks nice, yeah. just because yeah. it's shaped different, <laughs> but... There's really, you're right, there's the Galaxy tabs have been, I mean, I, I, I don't own any, but from what I've seen, they've been garbage. Nothing has come out that made me want to drop or ask to be dropped $500 on until this came out. And this was right. the first one, so I jumped on it. And... I mean, the real, the real commitment around an iPad is buying into the Apple ecosystem. Exactly. And, and, and I'm not a, doing that. I use it's Gmail. Google it's Music. a very rich ecosystem, but it is close. Very close, yeah. very close. And I'm not doing I, just obje- I just object right there on that point. And I'll tell you, people, like, there's some emulator apps that got pulled out of the Android market. I happen to have the APKs. Like, I can just copy it over here and install it, and I have it. Like, you don't have to depend on the market being there. Granted, that opens up certain security vulnerabilities. Security issues, Perhaps, yeah. perhaps, but hey. Yeah. Privacy's dead, right? <laughs> so, yeah, there you go. Um, was there anything else? We're almost at an hour here. Was there any other stories we really wanted to get to before we uh, call this thing done? Did you notice you can now call 
via Google Voice from within a Hangout. I think that hey, let's is, call your mom. Yeah, we actually <laughs> tested this out earlier. We'll start doing these publicly so all the podcast listeners can, can actually watch us do these. But for now, we're still working out bugs. This is episode one, like we said. But um, yeah, we called my mom, called from here via the internet to her landline. And uh, it wasn't that great of quality. I, I don't know. I don't know. But her landline. I mean, there's variables on that, though, right? Exactly. There's so many, so many. But the price was and right. now what this does, uh, we have Skype, right? And, and Facebook it, it incorporated that in, in order to do what we're doing here using Skype, we would have to pay for it, right? You can only do video calls one-on-one for free. If you did a conference video call, you have to pay extra. You have to be a subscriber. So this incorporates that and now adds the capability like Skype has to call a landline real quick inside of this hangout all for free. Mike? It's actually it's actually a pretty intriguing extension, I think, of, of Google Hangouts. My my sense about Hangouts is Google is putting it out there and seeing what people do with it. Right. And I've seen a ton of really interesting applications of Google Hangouts that I would never have dreamed of. We've like, seen well, backstage access at concerts with people doing Hangouts right there after they've done performed. We're seeing you know a lot of podcasts. Uh, adoption of, of using this because it's a great tool. I mean, this is this is amazing. You know, to politicians, to... politicians, some politicians po- yep. are using it as a way of reaching out to their constituents. A tool to reach their tools. It's, it's, it's what it's there for. <laughs> hey, you guys, my my screen just went black and asked me, "Are you still there?" Yeah, and my I said, yes, now. and it came back. What's what's that all about? That's so that people don't leave their Hangouts just running all the time. I imagine if you wouldn't have said anything gotcha. or moved your mouse, it would have turned off eventually. Oh, yeah. Gotcha. That's Google being Mike, eco-friendly. Have you, Mike, what are some of the apps you've seen that uh, shocked you? Well, Hangout I, apps. I'm not, not, uh, not shocked, but uh, it simply interested me in the way people are communicating. Uh, the, the politicians... I, read a story, I wasn't aware of it in time to participate, about uh, President Obama participating in a hangout or conducting hangouts with uh, ordinary citizens. I I just think it is a fascinating way for people to connect easily and quickly. Now, the, 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 the nice addition from Google is that they're adding multiple, you know, I guess up to 10 participants all simultaneously with really easy uh, navigation and switching among participants. Right. And on my way here, we were testing out the Hangout capability on the Galaxy Nexus. Just I had it sitting there and was basically watching me drive home and we were having a conversation and it was all All over 3G, all over my (laughs) 3G, which usually doesn't work very well up here. But in, even on the phone, you can switch really seamlessly between the front ba- camera and the back camera. And, you know, I had it going through a tape deck into the truck so I could hear him on my truck speakers. And, like, this technology, it, it really is shifting how people are communicating with each other, how we're sharing our lives. And I think that's key that the more integrated this becomes into our lives, you know, the further it's going to go, the new uses we're going to see. And eventually we'll... Uh, will reach that singularity we've all tried so hard to attain. By the way, if you are interested in Hangouts and are a Chrome user, install a Chrome Chrome extension called My Hangouts. 
It'll mm -hmm. pick up in your uh, uh, Chrome uh, extensions bar a little blue box with a number in it. Click that box and you'll see all the ongo currently ongoing public Hangouts that you can join. Oh, for cool. Instance, for instance, right at this minute, there are 14 public Hangouts. Uh, three of them are full and the other 11 are available to join. Now let's make so, the difference, the separation between a Google Hangout, a Hangout with extras, and then a public Hangout beta. What we're yeah, using here cool. is, I mean, they're, they're different animals, and, and I hope this is Google trying a few things and seeing what works and then sticking that all under the Hangout, you know, all in one, here's <laughs> the capability. Like um, they, they, refer to, they refer to this one the, uh, as a beta too. Right, because the this other is Hangouts. One's not even a beta. It's just you have to be invited to. This be is in. Hangouts with extras. What we would like to eventually do with these shows, we're going to post the podcast as audio only on yetanothertechshow.com. You guys can subscribe to that. We'll be in iTunes shortly. Uh, what we'd like to do is start doing these publicly and having the the public beta Hangouts so that people can watch us do it live. They can see our images. They can see the documents and us yeah. doing this show. And you know, you I talked think, before about teaching. That would be a really revolutionary way to teach. Yeah, you run a, a class where you're kind of having spontaneous interaction with yep. the ten people that you can that you can talk to. To be able to and, bring in professors, and a gazillion from, people can be watching and, and sending in questions with chatters. Oh yeah, that's huge. And then to bring in and to record that and to offer that on the internet, at adding yeah, to the the yeah. store of information of humanity. I yeah, think that's huge. Google's doing that. I I wonder. Well, I I guess we'll find out if if you have a chance to edit it though. I you probably wouldn't want to just. You know, do the whole thing without editing it. Oh, we fly by the seat of our YouTube. pants here. We do it all live. Editing was editing. I don't even know that word. <laughs> all right. Um, before we cool. get out of here, did you want to mention this whole the the losses video? We can throw links to that. Is, is this copyright math? Oh, I'm going to put a post of it on uh, on A and D. I, I mentioned uh, it also the weekend is over. on uh, attackoftheandroids.com in, in those show cool. notes we talked about it, so you guys can check it all out. Uh, plugs, Ant, you're writing on a new domain.net. Anywhere else? No, that's it. I mean, my personal blog, but I barely even go over there here recently because um, I've been putting a little more energy into a new domain.net. Cool, cool. And having a lot of fun with it, man. It's really, really fun. Very yeah. cool. Well, Larry? Um. Well, yeah, I teach, and also um, I've, I've been building now for, uh, I, I'm a big believer in modular teaching materials, and so I, I built uh, one modular course on programming, and now I'm doing a modular course on uh, digital literacy. Really? And uh, so I've got, and I, um, I have been able to do that, this is kind of uh, a nice feature, I've been able to do it all uh, by knitting together stuff on a couple of blogger blogs. So the development cost for this course has been uh, has been really small. But at any rate, yeah, I, I can. Uh, if anybody cares about digital literacy teaching materials, I've got a ton of it up, and it's growing every day. That's excellent. I can put that in the show notes too. Yeah, well, to definitely. That. Yeah, anothertechshow.com. Mike. Yeah, Matt. You can find me at. Uh... Uh, groovypost.com and a new domain.net. I'm Mike Rothman on Google Plus and follow me on Twitter at that works for me. 
Very cool. <laughs> and I'm over. I got uh, attackoftheandroids.com, an Android show I host for Groovy Post once a week. Me and Joey host the bufferoverflowshow.com uh, once a week. Uh, I got a couple other shows, but I'm just not even going to mention those. You can find me online, I'm sure, all over. Uh, we got hey, Mike Plus page. I know it. <laughs> hey, Mike, let me ask you. I st- how do you decide, like, this groovy? Like, I, I don't know. To some extent, I put stuff on my own blog, and then I'll put stuff on um, A&D. How do you, what's the difference between A&D and Groovy Post? How do you decide where to put what? Me, all, all the stuff, I, I kind of mostly for A&D, I do like back-end stuff. But um, if, if they want something that's more newsy or more security-focused, I kind of tend to put those on a new domain. Uh, my reviews, my how-tos, all that stuff goes on Groovy. Yeah, and for me, it's a, a question of newsworthiness. I try to put interesting, relevant, current news on a new domain, .net, and how-tos, tips, uh, uh, sort of deep windows, my current interest, uh, analysis on Groovy Post. So it's it's slightly different audiences. And you're the weekly wrap-up guy on Groovy Post. So when you guys get those emails, that's uh, that's this gentleman here, Mike Rothman, doing that. So... Once a week, Saturday afternoons, I sit down and recap the best of Groovy Post for the, the prior week and uh, do a, a post on that, the weekly rant. Very cool. We'll set up all the social stuff. We'll have a Facebook page, a Google Plus uh, page that you guys can follow. And then once we start doing these publicly, you'll be able to just check it out there and, and click the link. And voila, we'll be right here in beautiful living color HD right into your living rooms. Uh, so thank you guys. Yet another tech show, episode one. Uh, I feel good. That, that was a good show. So, oh yeah, Thanks, we gotta everyone. do these every week, weekly, right? Weekly? weekly. Weekly. I think we have to do it every week to get everybody that wants to do it uh, in and out. So uh, check us out next Saturday. Yet another tech show dot com. Uh, we'll talk to you guys later. Thank you. See you.